Part two Propositions thirty one to thirty five of the Ethics by Spinoza. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ethics by Benedict de Spinoza. Translated by R. H. M. Elvis. Part two Propositions thirty one to thirty five. Proposition 31. We can only have a very inadequate knowledge of the duration of particular things external to ourselves. Proof. Every particular thing, like the human body, must be conditioned by another particular thing to exist and operate in a fixed and definite relation. This other particular thing must likewise be conditioned by a third, and so on to infinity. Part 1. Proposition 28. As we have shown in the foregoing proposition, from this common property of particular things, we have only a very inadequate knowledge of the duration of our body. We must draw a similar conclusion with regard to the duration of particular things, namely, that we can only have a very inadequate knowledge of the duration thereof quod erat demonstrandum corollary hence it follows that all particular things are contingent and perishable for we can have no adequate idea of their duration by the last proposition and this is what we must understand by the contingency and perishableness of things part one proposition thirty three Note 1. For, part 1, proposition 29, except in this sense, nothing is contingent. Proposition 32. All ideas, in so far as they are referred to God, are true. Proof. All ideas which are in God agree in every respect with their objects. Part 2. Proposition 7. Corollary. Therefore, Part 1. Axiom 6. They are all true. Quod erat demonstrandum. Proposition 33. There is nothing positive in ideas which causes them to be called false. Proof. If this be denied, conceive, if possible, a positive mode of thinking which should constitute the distinctive quality of falsehood such a mode of thinking cannot be in god part two proposition thirty two external to god it cannot be or be conceived part one proposition fifteen therefore there is nothing positive in ideas which causes them to be called false quod erat demonstrandum Proposition 34. Every idea which in us is absolute or adequate and perfect is true. Proof. When we say that an idea in us is adequate and perfect, we say, in other words, Part 2. Proposition 11. Corollary. That the idea is adequate and perfect in God in so far as he constitutes the essence of our mind. Consequently, Part 2, 
Proposition 32, we say that such an idea is true. Quad erat demonstrandum. Proposition 35. Falsity consists in the privation of knowledge, which inadequate, fragmentary, or confused ideas involve. Proof. There is nothing positive in ideas which causes them to be called false. Part 2. Proposition 33. But falsity cannot consist in simple privation. For minds, not bodies, are said to err and to be mistaken. Neither can it consist in absolute ignorance, for ignorance and error are not identical. Wherefore it consists in the privation of knowledge, which inadequate, fragmentary, or confused ideas involve. Quad erat demonstrandum. Note. In the note to Part 2, Proposition 17, I explained how error consists in the privation of knowledge, but in order to throw more light on the subject, I will give an example. For instance, men are mistaken in thinking themselves free. Their opinion is made up of consciousness of their own actions and ignorance of the causes by which they are conditioned. Their idea of freedom, therefore, is simply their ignorance of any cause for their actions. As for their saying that human actions depend on the will, this is a mere phrase without any idea to correspond thereto. What the will is and how it moves the body, they none of them know. Those who boast of such knowledge and feign dwellings and habitations for the soul are wont to provoke either laughter or disgust. So, again, when we look at the sun, we imagine that it is distant from us about two hundred feet. This error does not lie solely in this fancy, but in the fact that, while we thus imagine, we do not know the sun's true distance or the cause of the fancy. For although we afterwards learn that the sun is distant from us more than six hundred of the earth's diameters, we nonetheless shall fancy it to be near, for we do not imagine the sun as near us, because we are ignorant of its true distance, but because the modification of our body involves the essence of the sun, in so far as our said body is affected thereby. End of part two, propositions thirty one to thirty five.